to the book of 3 John this morning. We're going to read a short chapter, a short book, From the Elder to the Churches. And this morning I want to focus on a testimony of words. John gives us a testimony of four men here, and we're going to look at each in succession. But this morning I want to start with an illustration. And I want to start with a statement. And I'm going to make a statement. And it's, I have a son. Now from that statement, we can draw some conclusions. One, I have at least one child. Two, he is a son. As a son, he is also an heir of all that I have. What are some things that we can assume? Don't know an age. Don't know a name. Don't know where he falls in the family. Is he a natural born son? Is he an adopted son? Is he a son that I have taken under my wing that is not my son, but have called him my son in the faith? Is he a disciple of Christ? Is he a follower of the world? There are so many things that we don't know from this one statement. So I'm going to give you a second statement. I have a son. His name is Elijah. He is 14, and he is my middle child. Now, I've given you a little more information. Not enough for you to draw any more conclusions besides the fact that I have three children, him of which is the middle, and that his name is Elijah, and that he's 14. Now, for us, in our heads, when we hear a name of a person, a lot of the times we associate an idea of their character or an idea of what they may look like. How many times have we, in a conversation with somebody, talked with them on the phone, or had discussions via Facebook or text or whatever, have no idea what they look like. And then when we meet them, after our meeting, we're like, boy, they look totally different than what I thought. Or, oh, they looked exactly like how I, how I imagined they would. That's because oftentimes we associate things through our experiences. So this is why, as Christians... This is why, as disciples of Christ, we need to be careful with our words. To say what we mean, to say what God says, but not to add to it, and not take away from it. Now, God made a statement back in Genesis. And he said, I am. Now, there's much that we can conclude from that. God is self-existent. God is all-powerful. There is no one before him. He was not created, because he is. There's a lot that we can take from that. But praise God, he didn't leave us with that alone. He also gave us his word to disclose more of himself more fully to his people so that they did not create and make an idol in their minds of who God was. But God told them who he was. He revealed himself to his children and gave them a full revelation of himself in time. God also made a statement of Jesus. And he said in Matthew 3.17, Behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And again in Matthew 17, verse 5, while, I was speaking, while he was speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So now we have a statement of God about the Son. He was beloved of the Father. He was perfect and righteous because he was well-pleasing to the Father. And also he had authority, authority to teach and preach the words of God with the authority of God himself. Listen to him. So this is the statement that God has made about himself and about his son. 
And consequently, he has also revealed much more. Now we have the New Testament. We have the completed scriptures of God to tell us more of who this Christ was. We also have the Old Testament to show us the foreshadowing of Christ, why he had to come, how he had to come, how he had to live and die, how he had to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and also what will come. As we read a little bit in Revelation this morning, he's given us a little bit of the future glimpses of the glory of Christ and the glories of his judgment. So this morning, the Apostle John, aged as he was, has given us some insight into some characters in the, in the scriptures in the early church in the latter part of the first century. So we see a man named Gaius. Not much is known about him. Perhaps he's the same one that Paul spoke of in Romans 16. Gaius was host to me and to the whole church. He also greets you, along with Erastus, the city treasurer, and Quartus, the brother. Also in Acts 20, he says, And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe. So we see small pictures. Now, is it the same Gaius? We don't know. Could be. Derby, just for your information, was a small country north and a little west of Tarsus. It was in the region of Galatia. So it's very possible that Paul met him early on, if this is the same Gaius. But not much is told of us about him besides that he was a host to the church and also a Paul. John now will get into the life of Gaius, and he'll give us more of a statement to fulfill more of who the person is, of his character. So we're going to focus on the character of these men as we walk through the book of John, 3 John. We're going to take a moment and pray, and then we're going to read 3 John. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your word. We thank you that as you have made statements of yourself, that you have not left us to imagine or to wonder who you are, but that you have given us truth through your word to see who you are, to experience you by the wisdom of your spirit as you have given it freely to your children. And we thank you, Father, that you have adopted us as sons and daughters in Christ for your glory. And Father, as we look to this morning to your word, we ask that you would challenge our hearts, that you would challenge our character, Father, that you would sharpen us through your word and through your truth. And we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the third letter of John, and it says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when the brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diatrophes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he has does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, 
and the one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So we're going to take this a chunk at a time, looking at characters, looking at people, looking at statements made of these people. We're going to start with John himself and also with Gaius, verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4 says this, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when the brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. So John speaks of himself here as the elder. This isn't the first time that he has called himself the elder. John, at this time, this book was written, widely received, around 85 to 90 BC. So we're looking at the latter part of the century for the church. And John himself, in his latter years, lived and served in Ephesus, and the church in Ephesus. And as he was there, John was reputed as a pillar of the church, as an elder in the church, a leader of the early church. Him and James and uh, John the Apostle and Peter were leaders in the early church of Jerusalem. They were looked to in matters of Wisdom and leadership. Paul the Apostle, when he was converted from Saul to Paul, he brought his ministry before the Apostles, specifically John and James and Peter, to give them the message that he was delivering to the Gentiles. They approved of his message, and they gave his blessing, adding nothing but that they remember the poor, which Paul said he was very happy to do so. But John was also a giver of great truth, of great teaching. We've seen that through the book of 1 John, also through 2 John. The Gospel of John is a mountain of theology. It's rich, it's full, it's all-encompassing. This is the John who was the beloved apostle, who Jesus loved. He reclined on the Master's chest. He was close and intimate with the Lord Jesus. So it is this one who opens the letter and speaks to Gaius. And he says to Gaius, you are beloved. You are loved in the truth. So he spoke of his life, that his life was characterized by truth, that Gaius was living faithfully according to the word of God. And he also commended him to the church. William MacDonald said, men would rather see a sermon than hear one. I'm going to say that again. Men would rather see a sermon than hear one. Meaning, men would rather see you live a life of Christ-likeness than hear you preach at them and not see it in your life. We ought to be hearers of the word, but doers also, as James said. So John moved on and he said he prayed for prosperity of health. So we learn here that Gaius was, had some health issues. Once again, we see that we don't have a health and wealth gospel. Gaius' life was not soiled, therefore he was sick. He had health issues, but John said, May your health prosper as your soul does. He's giving affirmation that Gaius was living a pure life, a life devoted to Christ, a life devoted to the church and the movement of the gospel. 
So I want to pause here and reflect on that. Can that be said of us? Can someone say, I hope that your health prospers as your soul prospers? Does your soul reflect good health? Does your soul reflect that you are living in the Word of God, that you are growing, that you're maturing, that you're also, as John is doing here, discipling? Are you calling others to Christ? Are you helping them, as I like to use this analogy over and over, moving people from the left to the right, moving people farther from Christ, closer to Christ, as we are all moving in maturity? This is what John says. May your health prosper as your soul does. That should be a point of reflection for us inwardly to see how are we walking. Are we walking circumspectly? The truth of John's testimony of Gaius is plain, that he is walking in the truth. And not only that, but this brings the greatest joy to John, that he hears of his children walking in the truth. Now, I stopped and thought on that. And as why is it not the conversion of the ungodly? Why is it not, as Paul says in the book of Colossians, those who are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son? Why is it not this point of salvation? But John says, my greatest joy is hearing that my children are walking in the truth. What is the greatest testimony of the church's salvation? Perseverance. Continual faithful walking in the truth. Continual faithful walking in the blessings and the truth of God's word. So John says, my great joy is seeing that maturity, is seeing that the discipling that happened in the beginning that continues to happen now is continuing to bear fruit in the life of his children, children in the faith. Paul used that expression many times of Timothy, of Titus. There is beloved children in a same faith. Faith is not different because John was an apostle. It was not different for him because he was beloved of Jesus. It is the same for all of us. We all have to make a confession of Christ as our Savior and our Lord. And in that, to grow and to walk with him. So John says, my joy is to see my children walking in the faith. Can we say that, beloved? Can we say that? That as we look at those whom we have discipled, are they continuing to grow in the faith? Have they fallen away? Are they needing more of an extra one-on-one discipleship? Are they needing more of our hearts and our life poured into them? John was an old man, but he wasn't retired. John was an old man, but he was faithful to the end. As Paul said, may I continue to run a faithful race. We never retire from being Christians. We mature as Christians. We learn how to disciple better, Lord willing, as we grow in our maturity. But we're never retired. We're always seeking to love others with the love of Christ and to draw others to himself. And God works through each of us at the different stages of our life. An older man such as Mike could speak to a younger man differently than I could or differently than Samuel. But God has placed each of us together to grow each other, to sharpen one another in the uniqueness that he has placed us. And we must be open and willing to do that. Secondly, My second point this morning is we're going to see the testimony of a life lived out in truth. Verses 5 through 8. We see here that Gaius was full of hospitality. His heart was for the saints, was for those who were itinerant preachers, those who were passing through, who were moving on with the gospel. He was faithful in welcoming those who taught and preached the word of God, who were moving through from town to town. It was very different back then than it was here in our day and age. Now we have pastors who sit in the same church year after year, 
Rothbury has a pastor who's been there for 32 years. Praise God for his faithfulness. But our day and age is a little different. We're not seeing preachers in and out our doors all the time. Praise God that I'm here now. So now we have a pastor here. But in the early church, many men preached and taught the word of God in many different cities. Why? Because there was a lot of immaturity. There was maybe not an established church. We see that through Paul's writings to Timothy and Titus of helping them establish elders in the cities, in the churches. So Gaius was taking these men, welcoming them into his home, and providing for them while they were there in his area as they went out and preached the word, as they taught in whether it was the synagogues or whether it was the local meeting area. Wherever it was, he was taking care of these men. He joyfully opened his home to the men of God who were seeking to spread the gospel through the world, seeking to be faithful to the calling of Christ and the Great Commission. But he was also faithful to those whom he didn't know, as it says here. He says, especially when they are strangers. They didn't have social media back then, the way we have it now. It's harder to find out back then about everybody around. But Gaius was faithful in opening his home even to those whom he didn't know. What did Jesus say to the, uh, to the disciples when he was preaching and teaching about the coming day when he returns to separate the sheep from the goats? He says this in Matthew 25, The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these my brothers, even to the least of them you have done so to me. And a little bit later, a couple verses later, he also says the opposite. Then he answered them and said, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do and one to uh, do it to the least of the one of these, you did not do it to me. And in Hebrews, we have the admonition, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for in doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. God has placed a great emphasis on the church loving the church. On the church loving people as Christ loved the church. So the word is spread among the churches that this man Gaius is faithful in welcoming the brothers. His faithfulness is being testified to, as it says here, that he is walking in the truth, that he is walking in faithfulness. And as his love for God and God's word and his people continues to grow, it again shows the reflection of his soul, how his soul prospers, as John said. May your health prosper as your soul does. He is living that out faithfully day by day in the midst of opposition. John now takes time to remind Gaius and once again to add that discipleship nature that John loved to do. And he told Gaius, it would do well with you to send them out in a manner worthy of God. So what does he mean? to send them out in a manner worthy of God. Well, what were these men doing? They were carrying the gospel through the country, many times long treks, whether it's walking or by donkey or camel or by boat, whichever mode of transportation they use, going around preaching and teaching the word of God. Most of the time, many of them, unlike Paul, didn't have a trade that they were maybe making tents and earning a living that way. But even Paul received blessings from the church. So what John is saying here to Gaius, is when you send them out, send them out with what they need to continue their journey, to continue the ministry that God has called them to, to send them out with what they have need of. He sets the bar high, but did not also the apostle James. When James says, if a brother comes to you in need and says, I have need of this or that, and you say, well, I'll pray for you, be well then filled, and send them on their way without giving them anything, what have you done? You've done nothing. You've not given them what they need. 
So John sets the, the bar high that as you have been blessed, you have been blessed in order to provide for those who teach and preach the gospel. As you have been blessed, you have been blessed to help those in need. Not only the poor, but those who are faithful in preaching and teaching the gospel and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And he gives Gaius a reason as he continues on through 7 and also in 8. And he says that these men are going out trusting in the faithfulness of God to provide for their needs. They're not asking of the Gentile churches, hey, when I come to you, you guys need to take care of me when I get there. They're going out to these churches, going out to plant churches, or to help grow an immature church in the faith that God will provide for them. And how is God provided? Through the faith of the church, through local believers such as you and I. Are we sending out those who are spreading the gospel? Are we faithful in helping ministries that are effective for the kingdom of God? We had Amelia come. And today, later on, after, the, after communion, we're going to take up an offering for her. She's going over to Kyrgyzstan. And she's going to be spreading the gospel in a very unique way. Are we being faithful with the resources God has blessed us with? Because it's the eternal things that matter and that'll stand. Not the things of this world, not the temporary things that are passing by, but the things of eternal value, of souls, of people. That's all we're bringing with us. We bring nothing else. So Gaius' reason was that they were making a statement that their God was big enough to provide their needs and they will lean upon the church and upon Christ alone. So we must help them and support them. We must share in their ministry by helping make a pathway for the gospel, by providing for their physical needs, not just those, but their spiritual needs. I'm sure as Paul was refreshed many times in the houses of those he spent time with, Gaius also refreshed the souls of those who came. It was a time of fellowship. It was a time of prayer, of sweet communion one with another, to share news of what's going on. Maybe Gaius was sharing what's going on in the local church that he was a part of. And I'm sure the missionaries that were coming through were sharing of what the gospel was doing, spreading around the world, of the news of new churches planted, of converts, of what, uh, what glories Christ was doing in and among the people. And what did John say here? He says, and as we support such men, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. We receive a great blessing when we support the gospel. We receive a great blessing, not only of the fruit of those who are blessed by the ministry, but the fruit of, that it produces in our own lives of giving for the truth, of giving sacrificially for Christ, of sharing a partnership in the ministry. We do that through prayer. We do that, can be through finances. We do that through opening our homes. We do that in many different ways. And it's neat that we now have the opportunity that missionaries on the field have a way to communicate through the internet to send out a newsletter of what's happening. We're not left in the dark wondering, huh, I wonder whatever happened to them. God has blessed us with a unique way. So now we have ways of meeting specific prayer request needs. As the need comes up, we don't have to wait months and months to get a letter down the road to be like, oh, we got to pray for this, but it's probably already passed. Now we have opportunity instantly to be able to talk and communicate with our missionaries to say, hey, what are your prayer needs? How can our church bring these before Christ? How can we lift you up in prayer? And how can we help be effective in the ministry that you've been called to? So this is what John says. And as John says in verse 3, he says, I am uh, very glad to hear that you are walking in the truth because the result of that is joy. 
joy that people are walking faithfully in the truth and they are living that out through the practical ways that God has called you and the opportunities he's placed before you. That'll lead us to our third point this morning of a testimony of sin. We look at the man Diotrephes in verses 9 and 10. It says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he has does. Unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and he puts them out of the church. Once again, John's heart is discipleship of the church. He's, ri- he's wrote a letter to help grow and encourage and nurture the church. And yet there's a man we see here that we are now introduced to, Diatrophes. And he is pulling these aside and not allowing it to go through. He is putting aside the people in the church. John's testimony is a testimony of discipleship, a love for the church. And in this, it's coupled with his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. John had great authority in the early church because he was an apostle, and that carried weight. And it's because of this that we see such a drastic and a violent opposition from Diatrophes. That knee-jerk reaction of, no, this is my church, and it'll go my way. We see that John gives testimony of his sin. Diatrophes was a prideful man. He loved to be first. He loved to put himself first before everybody to hold a spot of preeminence. He also had a very foolish idea of his self-importance. He thought he was more important than everybody else, set his ways before others. We see a violent jealousy of his own rights. This is my church. It's going to go my way. No longer am I going to submit to the elders and the apostles, but this is my church and it'll go this way. And if you don't like it, leave. Maybe he forgot or maybe he never knew that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ alone has the authority and the right to guide and govern the church. It is God's word that we turn to for our authority, not our own. Biblical eldership was being abandoned in this church. The plurality of elders for the rule of one. He was going papal on us. He was moving the authority from the group of elders to himself. Now he was the head of the church. He ruled the church. All power and authority belonging to one man. Brothers and sisters, we have to guard against that. Do we do it in our lives? Are there areas in our lives where we're saying, no, I'm taking control. No, I'm not submitting to God's authority. No, this is going my way. A plurality of elders is biblical. Why? Because it helps temper the pride of man. It helps temper falling into the trap that Diatrophes fell into. So we see the testimony of sin and its progression. First, we see a love of self, a love of pride. Which leads to the second point, a rejection of truth. When you love yourself and you love your pride and you want to be first, you are going to reject the truth. Because what is man? Nothing. Except through Christ alone. Thirdly, it led to a projection of wickedness on those obedient to the truth. Diatrophes was speaking of the things that he was doing. He was speaking vehemently against John and the apostles, against the leaders of the church. He said wicked things, wicked words, wicked speech and actions. Fifthly, it led to oppression of the local church and a usurping of authority. Diatrophes was oppressing those who were seeking the truth, as it says here. He said that those, and he forbids those who desire to do so. 
And he also puts them out of the church. So there's that expelling of all in opposition to himself. If you don't like my rule, get out of my church. As Gaius showed love of the brethren, as he showed hospitality, as he showed selfless love, acceptance and contribution to the spread of the gospel, he's contrasted by diatrophies. This is the opposite. If you're not living in truth, you're living against the truth. If you're not living in the love of Christ, you're living in the hate of God. Why? Because friendship with the world is enmity to God. It's hatred of God. Plain and simple. There's no middle ground. There's no, I can sit with one foot on each side of the fence. You're either in the love of God or you're in the love of the world. You're either in love with Christ or in love with yourself. Men of like mind are to be like Gaius. To be faithful to the truth. To walk in the truth. To love the church. And those who are being put out of the church as they move and seek Christ, brothers and sisters, we should seek to bring them in. We should seek to love them, to nurture. This is what the church has always and will always struggle against. The sin of pride. The sin of those who want to be first. We must be on guard against it. And we must walk faithfully in the truth. That will lead us to our fourth point. The testimony of good deeds. Verse 11. John says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but that which is good. For the one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. This is very reminiscent of John's first letter in 1 John. To love God. So we see here that in keeping with the rest of all scripture, John continues to point Gaius to imitate what is good. So what is good? What does the scripture have to say about it? The prophet Amos small book in the Bible, he said thus, Seek good and not evil that you may live. And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in your gates. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And now when he says establish justice in your gate, in the Old Testament times, the gate was where the elders of the, of the city And the elders of the church would meet and discuss matters of importance. They would discuss whether it was religious things, but most of the time it was community things. Making uh, judgments on the law in between people. Do you guys remember in the book of Ruth, how Boaz came before the elders? Where did he come? To the gates of the city to present his case of redemption and the price of redemption. So that is what he means here. Jesus says in Luke 18, 19, and Jesus said to him, Speaking to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? For no one is good except God alone. Now we've established what is good. God is good. God alone is good. So we are to imitate what is good. Imitate Christ. Imitate God. In Galatians 6, 9 and 10, Paul continues the theme. Let us not lose heart in doing good. When you know good, do good and do not lose heart. He goes on. And do not become weary, for in due time, if you reap, if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are the household of faith. The one who does evil, what did John say, has not seen God. What does that mean? It means they have not understood who God is. They have not seen God for who he is. They have not seen the love of God, and therefore they have not been affected and changed by the love of God. They are unable to walk in the truth. They are unable to walk in the love of Christ. Which leads us to our fifth point. 
the testimony of a good example. We're going to look at the life of Demetrius. He's mentioned here in verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. John is using language here that he was known for speaking truth. Why? Because he was an apostle of Christ and he had a faithful life. John was an older man at this time. He had a life proven of faith, of worth in Christ. And he says, not only does the church approve, but we add our testimony to it. This man is walking faithfully. F.B. Hole spoke to this verse and he says, Note this, it is not that he bore witness to the truth, speaking of Demetrius, but that the truth bore witness to him. Demetrius was not the standard by which truth was now tested. The truth was the standard by which he was tested. And having been so tested, he now stood approved. Remember, it's not what we think the standard is. It's what Christ has set the standard at. It is a scripture in the scripture alone. The supreme authority of God's word. That is what our lives are to be measured against. My life isn't to be measured against Todd or Mark or Samuel or Elijah. My life is to be measured against the scripture and the word of God alone. Does it line up or does it not? And when it doesn't, you have the authority and the opportunity and the requirement to speak truth into my life. Just because I stand up here doesn't mean I'm perfect. My wife will be the first to attest to that. I am not perfect in any stretch of the imagination. But we seek to grow in love, in faith, in maturity in Christ together. We are on a journey together, moving from the left to the right, moving away from the world and towards Christ. Let us do that together. So we see the importance of our testimony and the importance of the words that we use in our testimony. John has pointed out some great truths here for us in speaking of men and testifying of men that we've gotten to know more of the heart of these men in the early church. We've gotten to see a picture of the church in the first century. At the end of the first century, what is it already dealing with? Dealing with sin and pride. It's dealing with good deeds and hospitality. There's always a struggle. Have we not seen it since Genesis chapter 3? There's always been the struggle of sin. Man will always struggle with sin. How do we react to it? What do we do with it? What do we do with the truth? That is the greatest question. What do you do with the truth? Pilate had the wisdom enough to ask, what is truth? Whether it was flippantly or not, he asked the question, what is truth? And that is important. We need to know what is truth. We need to wrestle with that. We need to teach our children in wisdom to wrestle with what is truth and point them to Christ, who is truth. For God himself is the standard of truth. Jesus said of himself, he made a declaration, a testimony of himself. John 14, 6. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is not a clearer definition, a clearer declaration of Christ of who he was, was that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let us teach our children to wrestle well, to wrestle wisely, to disciple one another in truth. So let's grapple with it. Let's teach. Not only to teach them to search it out, but teach them to hold on. To teach them why they stand where they stand and how to stand faithfully upon God's word. Why? Because we live in a perverse and crooked generation. Scripture teaches us that over and over. Until Christ returns and takes us home to be with him, there's always sin. There's always those who are going to fall away. 
There are always those who are going to stand in opposition to truth. So for in the face of our culture, men such as diatrophies, they're not uncommon. Men as, such as Gaius, they're not uncommon. There are both. So let us be diligent to stand approve. Let us stand diligent to maintain a pure testimony. Let it be said of us, may we prosper health-wise as our soul prospers. May we find our souls in good health. Let us stand in the wisdom of Solomon, who said in Proverbs twenty-five twenty-six, like a trampled spring in a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Let us stand faithfully upon God's word and let us not be moved because of culture or because of man, but let us stand faithfully upon truth and truth alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you have given a testimony, not only of yourself, but also of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you continue to give testimony in our lives, that you are working, that you are growing us in maturity and faithfulness. And Father, may we be faithful to Christ and Christ alone. May we continue to love one another well, to show hospitality. Father, may we also continue to disciple and to further the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we just thank you for this time and thank you for your word and for its truth, that it's unchanging and that it has endured for so many generations. And we thank you that as you are immovable, unchangeable, that so is your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.